0: We won't just stay in Acts 11. We'll look at another chapter of the book of Acts in just a few moments. Confucius said, wherever you go, there you are. And then Clint Black, the country music star and songwriter, took that and wrote a whole song about that. And I think it was for him a major hit song several years ago. But sometimes you need to figure out how you got there. And so let me just remind you that uh, over the course of of the next several weeks, we started back some time ago looking at defining passages in regard to the church in the New Testament. We started back in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16 and saw there where Jesus defined what his church would be and how it would be composed there at Caesarea Philippi. And then we've taken a look at the Jerusalem church, looked at Acts chapter 2 after Pentecost when Peter preached and those 3,000 people were saved and they came together and formed the Jerusalem church. We identified six purposes for the New Testament church and examined each of those. And then last week we started looking at what I believe is the most influential church that you'll read about in the New Testament, and it's the church at Antioch. A lot of what we do today as a modern Baptist church resembles what was started back 2,000 years ago in Antioch. Just in case you're curious, Antioch is not in Israel. You remember we talked about last week that when persecution began to fall upon the church, particularly the persecution that surrounded the martyrdom of Stephen, the believers there in Jerusalem started to spread. So God used a very difficult thing in the life of the church and in the life of those people to activate them, to get them going, so to speak. Aren't we thankful this morning that God Works on the mountain and in the valley. God works when things are going really well with us, and then sometimes God works through the difficult circumstances of our lives for our greater good and His glory. We're reminded that Scripture tells us that all things work together for good for those of us who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And so it was uncomfortable, no doubt about it, for Stephen to go through what he went through and for the church to stand and watch that and then to receive so many other assaults and threats directed actually by Saul at that time. That was not fun. It was very difficult. But God used it to get the church out of Jerusalem and start spreading the gospel like he intended for her to do. And so uh, the first big epicenter of the gospel outside of Jerusalem would be up in Antioch. Now, if you looked at a modern map of that area of the world, Antioch is actually in the country of Turkey. In fact, some of you may remember that several months ago now, there was a major earthquake. In Turkey, Do you remember hearing about that on the news? The epicenter of that earthquake was right here in Antioch. Antiochus, as they call it now. And so that's the area that we're talking about. The gospel had spread, again, from Israel up to this place. And so we're thinking about how it is that we take the story of Antioch and the movement of God through the believers at Antioch and and apply the principles that we find in this narrative to our own lives and to our own church. The purpose, as I shared with you last week, is for us to emulate Antioch, to be a 21st century Antioch type of church. And so where we pick up the story this morning in Acts chapter 11, you'll notice that there were these prophets, these men of God, who prophesied, foretold, if you would, the word of God. They end up going from Jerusalem up to Antioch. And in verse 28, Scripture tells us, Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. So I want you to get the picture here. A prophet of God foretold about this event that was coming, a famine, a shortage of supplies and food, And the believers in Antioch heard the message. They collected uh, an offering. And the Bible says in verse 30, This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for, again, the opportunity that we have to open up your word. Lord, help us to never forget that your word is not just a casual word. It's unlike anything else that's ever been written because, Father, your word was inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we believe you breathed it out into the minds and into the hearts of these men of old. Father, as we read the book of Acts, we see how you illuminated Luke who wrote a wonderful gospel, but Lord, now you gave him great insight to share with us the story of the early church and how Christianity and the gospel began to spread. And so, Father, while we read this and we understand that it is a narrative, we hear the stories, Lord, I pray that this word would be more than just stories to us. I pray, Father, that we would receive it as it really is, Lord, your very word. That's powerful, that's quick and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, your word can change us where we are today. And I pray that it would have that effect among us. I pray, Father, that we would listen to it closely, take it into our hearts and allow it to make a difference in our lives. I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and amen. Just a very brief review. I know there is the possibility when we preach a series of messages that we take too much time in a review. So if you weren't here with us last week, it's on the internet. And I would encourage you to go back so you can kind of pick up the story But I will just hit you with some brief, quick thoughts of review as we looked at, for the first time last week, the church at Antioch. The big point I made with you is that it was an innovative church. So if we're to be a 21st century Antioch, the encouragement is for us to innovate to advance the gospel. Now, remember what we talked about last week in regard to innovation, if you just look it up, innovation means to do something that's brand new, perhaps something that no one has ever done. We stretched that definition a little bit last week and we thought about it like this, to do what we have never done. And again, look at what we're talking about. We're not talking about building a great institution for the sake of the institution itself. But we're talking about something that's greater than that. We're talking about making the gospel more known. And, And we were reminded last week that even here in our community, in our part of the state, our part of the world, that we are living in a day when the gospel needs to be heard. Do you not believe that the gospel needs to be heard clearly in Rockcastle County, Kentucky. It does. And so we're stretching ourselves to do what maybe we haven't been doing or something we haven't done before, always holding on to the message of the gospel and the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We don't change that. We accept it as it comes to us from God's word, but in regard to methodology, getting the gospel out different ways than maybe we've done before, we have to be open to that. At Antioch, that's what they did. Now, I want you to see this. The gospel that was preached in Jerusalem is the same gospel that's preached in Antioch. The gospel did not change but methodology changed up just a little bit. We noticed last week that there in Antioch, they preached the gospel widely in the Gentile world, and it's the first place that we see that. Now, we understand that the gospel was never intended just for the Jewish people. In fact, we know that Uh, There was that time when Peter was on the mountain, or excuse me, on the housetop in Joppa, and he was hungry, and God lowered the sheet down, and Peter said, I can't eat anything that's on that sheet because it's what? Unclean. And God said, don't call anything that I've cleaned uncleaned. And through that vision, Peter's heart was softened, and he become He became one who would take the gospel to a Gentile person up at Caesarea where that Roman centurion was there, and he led Cornelius to faith in Christ. But when you get up to Antioch, that's really beginning to explode. It's not that you're seeing one or two Gentile believers come to faith in Jesus, but you find this first wide preaching of the gospel in the gentile world and so antioch was an innovative church we found out that there in antioch the believers became so well known for preaching and teaching about the christ that for the first time believers were called christian that's a big deal right nod your head like this I know it's cold outside, but it's warm in here. That's a big deal. That believers were called Christian. Listen, how many times have you used the term Christian this week? Probably more times than you could count. You've talked about Christian songs. You've talked about being a Christian yourself. You're talking about others who need to become Christian. Christian, 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 Christian. We use it all the time. It was used for the first time in in Antioch because these people were obsessed with the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you would agree with me this morning that that's a good obsession? (laughs) They were captivated by Jesus. What they wanted to talk about when they went to work or when they sat down together as families was nothing about was nothing besides Jesus, and so because of that, the people around them began to mock them and call them little Christ's, and so it was innovative to the place in Antioch that that term was developed. What we go by today was developed there at Antioch. The other thing that we noticed last week, innovation. At Antioch, is that the Antioch church was the first church to decisively send out missionaries. So, again, I want you to see how this changes. In Jerusalem, God had to allow them to go through difficulties to make them be missionaries. Do you see it? God had to allow the persecution to come to the church so that they would begin to move out and spread out and take the gospel to other places. But at Antioch, see it very clearly, they made a decision, a cognitive decision, led by God the Holy Spirit, that they were going to do what had never been done before. It's kind of like the old Star Trek television show. How many Trekkies are out there with me this morning? One or two. You remember what the tagline to the, S- the Star Trek series was? To boldly go where no man had done what? Gone before. And that's exactly what they did at Antioch. They went out boldly and sent missionaries when that had never been done before. Don't miss how important that is. That's huge. You know, it's run-of-the-mill for us. We send missionaries. We support missionaries. We talk about missionaries all the time. But imagine being in a church where for the first time, God the Holy Spirit brought down the idea that you're to empower and send out people to take the gospel where the gospel has never been taken before. And so our encouragement from the church at Antioch is to innovate, to do new things to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second big thing, broad thing that I want you to see about the church at Antioch that we need to emulate is that we just simply need to obey the spirit as he moves among us. That ought to be almost a duh statement, right? To obey the Spirit. That's what we're supposed to do. But I want to tell you from the beginning of this thought this morning that one of my major concerns with the modern church of America is that in a lot of ways we have programmed out the movement of God's Holy Spirit. And it's a sad thing. And consequently, we reap what the human imagination can conjure. We reap what we can plan. But I just want to remind you, brothers and sisters, sometimes God moves in spite of us, in spite of our planning, in spite of our learning, in spite of everything we think we know how to do. And I want you to see that the church at Antioch became what it became because they were so obedient to God the Holy Spirit as he moved among them. Now, I've already mentioned several times that the book of Acts is a narrative as far as the type of literature that it is. It records history. So Luke... Gentile writer, he's a physician by trade, so he's a scientific person, an investigator. And so Luke is examining the facts that are happening here in the first century church and he begins to write them down for us. And I want you to see that in regard to the movement of the Holy Spirit, Luke records two three-verse stories. So in just three verses, of course we know that chapter and verse division is a modern man-made device. You know, Luke didn't sit down and number his chapters and number his verses. He just wrote, and he sent it out in a letter form. But I want you to see that in three verses, as we have counted the verses and divided the chapters, Luke gives us two verses powerful stories of how God moved there in the Antioch church through his holy spirit. We've already read one of them, but I want us to go back and see it again. Notice again in chapter 11 verses 28 through 30, we have this man Agabus who is a prophet that has come up to Antioch from Jerusalem. God the holy spirit is working in his life because Scripture says that the Holy Spirit had showed him that there was going to be this famine throughout the world. And Luke adds the detail that indeed it happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of, of Barnabas and Saul. Now we're going to come back and look at that in some detail in a moment, but that's story number 1. Don't miss what's happening there. Here's a prophet of God, a preacher who is foretelling not only the good news of God, but he's also foretelling that something drastic was going to happen and the Antioch believers had brothers and sisters down in Judea, in Jerusalem, in the church there, that was going to need help. Now, who instigated that? The Holy Spirit, right? You see it. The Holy Spirit put it on the heart and in the mind of Agabus the prophet. Now, look at Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. We'll come back to that story in a moment, but I want you to see this second three-verse story that shows how the church at Antioch was a church who responded to the movement of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts 13, beginning in verse 1, Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and also Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now watch this next part. The Holy Spirit said. Church, who's doing the speaking here? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. For the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed. And laid hands on them. They sent them away. Two. Three verse stories. And each of these are things that the modern church has likewise emulated this idea of sending relief and also this idea of sending out missionaries. But what I want you to see, what you can't miss about both of these stories, is that the church was obedient to the movement of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to point out for you three things from these two stories that show us very clearly how they responded to God's Holy Spirit, how the Spirit moved at Antioch. The first thing I want you to notice is that he empowered the preaching of the Word. God's Holy Spirit empowered the preaching of the word. Back in chapter 11, verse 28, this one named Agabus, he stands up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be this great famine throughout the world. What's very clear about what Luke is writing here is that the famine hadn't happened yet, but it was going to. It would happen very quickly after this. So God the Holy Spirit is operating in the heart and the life of this preacher by the name of Agabus. He stands up and he foretells an event that's going to happen. Now, that's the task of any preacher of the Word of God. That's the task of any person who tries to teach the Word of God. When we convey the lessons from Scripture, we don't do it just based on the English that we read in our English copies of the Bible and dissecting that and trying to understand it in all the different ways that our educations have taught us to diagram and dissect languages. But brothers and sisters, when we open up the Bible, we are opening up a spiritual book. The Word of God. Don't miss this. The Word of God, according to the writer of Hebrews, is a living and active Word. The Bible is not dormant. The Bible is not just something that was written years ago, we know that it was, but it's not like something else that we read that was written years ago and it's just the intent of the author years ago, nothing more, nothing less. No, no, when we read scripture, we're reading God-breathed words, breathed out by the inspiration of, Of the Holy Spirit. And the task of the preacher and the task of the Bible teacher is to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to move through his or her life. Now listen, there are times when that's more evident than other times. I'll just tell you, there are times when I know that God, the Holy Spirit, is operating because, you see, it's a two-way event. When I'm up here preaching... I know it's a lot like a monologue, you know, where I'm just up here and I'm just saying things and I'm just spouting off my message, but y'all ought to see what I have to look at. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's really a dialogue, and I hope you hear me, but I am hearing you. Now, you may not be speaking, but I'm seeing it. I'm seeing your heart's communicated through your facial expressions. I'm like old Santa Claus. I know when you're asleep. (laughs) And I know when you're awake. So you better be good, for goodness sake, right? (laughs) No, listen, I get it. Sometimes I would sleep too. (laughs) But listen to me closely. You see, bigger, better more powerful than the fact that you and I are in this room this morning and there's this give and take as I preach and as I receive feedback from you, bigger than all that, God the Holy Spirit is here. His Spirit is here. I'm telling you this, if God the Holy Spirit exits His church, I want to go with Him. And so it's a spiritual thing. God, the Holy Spirit, was filling up the heart of this preacher by the name of Agabus, and God empowered him to tell what he didn't otherwise have the power to tell. God gave him the message. And that's one thing you can pray for me. And I'm thankful for those people who often tell me, I pray for you because trust me, I need your prayers and we need one another's prayer. But the thing you can pray for me more than anything else is that I would try to always preach under the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. I don't want to do it any other way. And so God anoints the preacher of the gospel to preach the word that he's given. So God, the Holy Spirit is flowing through that. That's how he moved in Antioch all those years ago. And that's how we pray that he'll move in our church today. He empowered the preaching of the word. But watch this. Look at number two. He motivated a response from the church. And that response in this particular situation was an offering. Look at verse 29 of Acts 11. The Bible says, Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Now, again, God the Spirit was flowing through the life of Agabus as he was foretelling what was going to happen But notice the second part of this. As God the Holy Spirit was preaching through his man, there was a response from the church. I want you to see this clearly. It is up to me to study the word, to pray through the word, to develop messages and deliver messages guided by God the Holy Spirit. And I received that. And that's what God called me to do years ago. And that is what I gladly do. But notice the second part of this. It's your responsibility to respond as God speaks through his Holy Spirit. Don't miss it. It's a two-way street. The preacher preaches and then we all respond together. I'll tell you this. I'll never ask you to respond in a way that I'm not first willing to do. And so we respond together. But here's what's happening. The famine is coming. God, the Holy Spirit, has put it in the heart of Agabus, the preacher. He preaches it. And then what does the church do? The church listens. The church hears from God, the Holy Spirit. And then they... Respond. The disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Now, again, this is a message about how the Spirit works, and it's not necessarily a message about stewardship because very obviously, Bible Baptist Church is full of good stewards. And we're thankful for that. But here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit stimulated the response. It's not always about an offering. But I'll tell you this, one of the most spiritual moments in the service is when we take up an offering. Maybe you don't understand it. Let me help you see it. And by the way, that's that's why I'm glad that we've moved Outside of the pandemic, and we're passing the plate again. Because it's a part of worship. It's not something that we just casually do, and I understand why we had to do it that way for a while. But it's a part of worship when you take that dollar out of your bill folder, that check out of your checkbook, and you drop it in the offering plate during these moments of worship. I'm saying to you today, that is a highly spiritual event. Think about it this way. Here is a man and he's worked hard. He's worked all week. And perhaps he has a fairly meager existence. But when it comes time for Sunday morning and God's working in his heart, the Holy Spirit is leading He chooses, led by the Spirit, to take from His resources and place it in the offering plate during a worship service. Now, how is that spiritual? Because I'll promise you this, the world outside is not doing it. But you're doing it when you come. And and here's what it means. It means that God has set you free. How has God set you free? God has set you free from your selfishness. God has set you free from materialism. God has set you free from this activity of having to keep up with everybody else because God, the Holy Spirit, has moved in your heart and you gladly give. Now you tell me that's not a spiritual thing. It's a highly spiritual thing. But I want you to see it's more than just the offering. Sometimes, listen, sometimes it's easier to give the offering than it is to give our time. Sometimes it's easier to give the offering than it is for us to give up our wants and our wishes. You see, sometimes God moves in such a way that he leads us to start something new. Go back to innovation. To do something that we've never done before. To, to change the worship time perhaps a little bit. Or to start this new ministry in the church. And to do that, it might just be that God is calling us to give up something that we hold Dearly for something better for his glory. I hope you all are getting this. I say it again the message does not change, but sometimes the methodologies that we've fallen in love with sometimes. God the Holy Spirit leads us to relent on those so that we can do something better. You see, in the church, our choice is really not between bad and good. That happened a long time ago. But our choice is between the things that are good and the things that are better. And when God the Holy Spirit moves... When God the Holy Spirit says, you know what, maybe doing it this way is a better way Then what do we need to do, church. We need to get out of the way and allow the Spirit to move. So in Antioch, he empowered the preaching of the Word. He motivated a response from the church at that particular thing. It was an offering. And then let's spring forward back to chapter 13. You've already seen it. But let me remind you again, here's what's happening. <laughs> they, had, they had Paul in the church. Now think for a minute, who, who's Paul? The, the greatest preacher, the greatest theologian, you understand most of what you and I read from our new testaments most of that was written by the pen of the apostle paul as god the holy spirit was influencing him and inspiring him here's the thing antioch had the superstar with them you get it antioch had paul But God, the Holy Spirit, you see, God, the Holy Spirit will do that to you. Sometimes he'll invade some of those things that you think you want to hold on to. And he'll call you to give them away. And so as they were ministering together, according to verse 2 of chapter 13, they were fasting. And notice, here he comes again, God, the Holy Spirit. He says, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Paul's a superstar and Barnabas is the son of encouragement. Barnabas is probably the most, outside of Jesus, the most encouraging character you'll find anywhere in the word of God. That's what his name, Barnabas was his nickname. Actually, his name was Joseph. But he garnered the nickname Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. So here's their great encourager. And then here's their theological superstar. In other words, God through the Holy Spirit is saying to the Antioch church, don't just send... A couple of people that aren't doing anything. But I've pinpointed your very best. I've pinpointed Brother Saul and Barnabas. And you're going to send them out as missionaries. I I get it. I get the rub there. You know, there have been times and places... In my ministry where people have come up to me and said, you know what? Pastor, I feel like the Lord is calling us to go here and do this. Or maybe even a staff member in a church that said, you know, it's time that God has called me to go. And and I'm like, no, no, no. God, you can't have him. (laughs) Now there's two or three others I'd be glad to send. But you can't take him. And Barnabas, come on, God, Barnabas. When everybody is sour, he's the one that comes in smiling. When everybody else is cantankerous and complaining, Barnabas is the one that's holding me up in encouragement. Again, there's five or six others you can have, God, but leave Barnabas alone. That's not what you find here. Here's what you find. God the Holy Spirit has moved. And God the Holy Spirit has singled out Saul, who would be Paul, and Barnabas. And then what does the church do? The church simply obeys the Spirit of God. And the rest, as they say, is history. The church obeys the Spirit. And this wouldn't be the first one, would it? There would be other missionary journeys. The gospel would move. The gospel not only would move up the Mediterranean coast there in Asia, but the defining moment would later come when they would hear the Macedonian call and the gospel would literally move out of Asia into Europe. And I've told you this before, but listen once again. Here we are today in this new world because our spiritual forefathers are those who heard the gospel in Europe, responded to it, and ultimately arrived at a place where they said, you know what, I've got to find a place where it's not about what a king on a throne says or a church over in Rome says, but I'm going to a place where I can know God, experience God, and worship God according to Scripture and the dictates of my heart led by the Holy Spirit and not some other person. That, don't miss it, that, is why we are where we are today. Because 2,000 years ago, there was a group of Antioch believers that said, you know what? When the Holy Spirit moves, when the Holy Spirit leads, we're going to let go and let God. Wow. Do you see why I say that the Antioch church is the most influential church really in the New Testament? And that's what we need to be. We need to be a 21st century Antioch willing to innovate for the sake of the gospel and just say, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. There's an old hymn that's very influential in my life because God used it one Sunday to, to literally turn the trajectory of my ministry around. And I won't go into all the story, but when I was a young man, very young man, and I knew God was calling me, I felt like I could negotiate with him. You ever been there? Have you ever been at a place in your life where you knew what God was calling you to do, but you said, you know, God, I think I know a little bit better. (laughs) And and let me just do this. I'm not going to run off to the far country, but, but let me just negotiate a little bit. And so the early days of my ministry were days where I was trying to negotiate with God. And one Sunday morning, at the end of the service, leading that old hymn, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Then I got down to that chorus, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know what I had to do? I had to lay the hymnal aside and come down to an altar of prayer. And I had to say to God, Lord, I've been trying to do this my way too long now. But here I am, and I'm just going to be obedient to you. Trust and obey. I just wonder, has God called you to do something today like he did those Antioch believers all of these centuries ago? Has God moved in your heart through the Holy Spirit and singled out something for you? Maybe it's not surrendering to a new lifestyle. Maybe it's it's not a calling outside of what you already know it to be. But there's an area of your life where God has said to you this morning, you just need to let go. You just need to trust me because my Holy Spirit is working in your heart. And it's not for you to understand how the details are going to manifest, but it's just up to you to obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Would you stand with me this morning? Bow your heads. I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray, we will take a moment and sing together a hymn of response. And if God is calling... Would you come? Perhaps you're here today and and you sense the Holy Spirit leading you out of sin, to repent from sin and to trust the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. If that's what God's calling you to do, I want you to come today. Step out. Don't be obstinate. Don't say no to God. Come to Him today. Be saved today. Or perhaps this morning God's calling you and you know He is. He's working in your heart. He's telling you to relax on maybe some of the things you hold so tenaciously to and just drop it and trust His Holy Spirit and obey the Holy Spirit as He's leading you in your life, whatever that might be. If you need to come today, would you come and let God have His way in your heart and in your life? Lord, I thank You for these times that we have to come as a body of Christ in fellowship around your word. I pray, Lord, that you move in our hearts, Lord, wherever we might be holding on to something. Help us just to let go, if you're calling us to do so, and to obey and trust, Father, you. Lord, thank you for that old saying, when you guide, you provide. And so, Father, help us not to... Think we're so smart that we need to know all the details. But Father, just like Abraham of old did, when you say get up and go, help us just to get up and to move out with you and for you. I ask that and I pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus. And amen.